You're listening to the Real Estate CPA Podcast, your source for all things real estate accounting and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. As promised, we are back with another series. This time it's going to be on the short-term rental loophole and how you can use short-term rentals to reduce your overall tax liability because it is, in many ways, a reps alternative. But before we dive right into today's episode, we do want to remind everybody about our Facebook community, Tax Smart Real Estate Investors. There's a lot of great conversations taking place in that group right now with over a thousand members. And with the Biden tax law changes in the pipeline, you definitely want to stay up to date. And the way you can do that is by going to www.facebook.com slash groups slash tax smart investors. And you can uh, join the group by doing that. Or you can simply search for us on Facebook, Tax Smart Real Estate Investors, and I'm sure you'll find us quite easily. We also want to remind everybody about our tax course, Tax Strategy Foundation, that covers real estate tax strategies from A to Z, from the basic deductions to entity structuring to the short-term rental strategy, the real estate professional status, cost segregation studies, passive losses, and so much more. You can learn more about this course by visiting www.therealestatecpa.com, going to the Education tab, and clicking on the course for more information. You can now register for the course for a one-time cost of only $8.97, but if you use the promo code RECPA, you can get $100 off. Again, that's promo code RECPA for $100 off. You can visit www.therealestatecpa.com, click the education tab, and you can learn more about the course. Uh, for right now, we're going to dive right into today's episode. That was impressive. For everybody listening, Tom winged that this morning. There was no prep, so uh, that, that, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he does it. It's, it's, so it's we're a- talking about short-term rentals this morning, uh, or, or I guess on this episode, and why are short-term rentals important? You know, short-term rentals are important because many real estate investors out there want to use real estate, the losses from real estate specifically, to offset their W-2 or active business income. So in other words, their non-passive income. The challenge with that is being a real estate professional, if you listen to uh, the previous series on the real estate professional status, is you need to spend at least 750 hours and more than half your working time in a real property trader business in order to meet the criteria to qualify as a real estate professional and make the losses on your rental properties non-passive. However, short-term rentals, if done properly, you don't need to qualify as a real estate professional to take those losses. So that's why it's so important right now because it's an alternative to the real estate professional stats where you could still invest in real estate. Uh, you can still generate losses through increasing your depreciation expense by using cost segregation studies and still use those losses to offset your W-2 income or other active business income without qualifying as a real estate professional. Love it. That was a really good summary. So let's break that down further. There's a couple key things or a few key things in that. First, we are always subject to the passive activity loss rules, right? Every single business is subject to the passive activity loss rule. So, so divorce your mind from real estate for a second. Theoretically, you can passively participate in a business that you own if you're not materially participating in it. That's passive income to you, or if the business generates a loss, it's passive loss. You know, in our context with working with our clients and on our podcast, we're always talking about real estate, but 
technically every business is going to be subject to these passive activity loss rules. So the passive activity loss rules that section 469 of the code was added in 1986. If you want a larger history on it, I highly recommend that you go watch our reps episode 01. Reps is real estate professional status, as Tom was kind of mentioning. Go back and watch that or, or listen to those podcast episodes. We, we've got a, a four-episode series for reps that dives into the passive activity loss rules in detail. Um, but that's the first big one is that you know I, I go and buy a short-term rental or a long-term rental or a business. If I don't materially participate, then the, the activity is passive. And passive losses can only offset passive income. So if I go buy a long-term rental or if I go buy a short-term rental and this rental activity produces a loss and I don't materially participate in the activity, then I have a passive loss. And that passive loss can only offset passive income that I have, or it can offset gain on sale from a passive activity. What that passive loss cannot offset is my non-passive income. What is my non-passive income? My W-2 income, my business income, my interest, dividends, gain on stock sale, that type of thing. So a lot of investors look to qualify as a real estate professional. And they look to qualify as a real estate professional because they're building out a real estate portfolio. They're doing the cost segregation studies like Tom was mentioning. And it's creating large passive losses. They want to qualify as a real estate professional to effectively recategorize the passive losses and, and make them non-passive. That way, those non-passive losses can offset their W-2 income, their business income, and all the other income that I just mentioned. So... The problem is to qualify as a real estate professional, you have to spend more time in real estate than anywhere else. So if I've got a full-time W-2 job or if I'm running a business full-time, uh, then I can't qualify as a real estate professional. I, I can't possibly spend more time in real estate than I do at my full-time job or running a business as, as a CEO. I just can't, I can't. So real estate professional status is effectively out unless my spouse qualifies, right? So then people start pivoting and they go, well, my spouse my spouse stays at home, he or she can qualify. And then that gets a little murky, you know, depending on how much, <laughs> how much the spouse actually wants to be involved. But at the end of the day, if they can't qualify as a real estate professional and they're buying long-term rentals, then they're toast. The, the losses that the long-term rentals create just get, they're, they're passive, they get suspended, and they get carried forward. You don't get to use them until you actually liquidate, sell the rental at some later point. So the loophole here is to buy short-term rentals. Uh, short-term rentals, we're going to go over the specific code section uh, and the treasury regulations next episode, but there's a carve-out for short-term rentals. If you rent a property to customers seven days or less on average, so if you have two customers stay and one stays for eight days, one stays for six days, then on average, it's seven days or less. If that's true, you don't have a quote unquote rental activity under section 469, which means that you don't have to qualify as a real estate professional to recategorize that, that rental activity out of that passive loss bucket and into the non-passive loss bucket. You do still have to materially participate though. You always have to materially participate because again, that's where we divorce ourselves from the rental piece, right? It's, it's, I've got a business. If I want this business to be non-passive, I have to materially participate in it. That's true of every single business. Same for your rentals. So you still have to materially participate in the short-term rental. 
And we're going to talk about what that looks like too. But if you materially participate in a short-term rental, then you have non-passive losses and you can offset your W-2 income, even if you have a full-time job with those non-passive losses. Yeah. So it's like the, the basically the short-term rental uh, loophole is basically it's while you still have to materially participate, you don't have that additional hurdle of needing to spend more than half of your total working time uh, within your short-term rental business, which you do need uh, to qualify as a real estate professional, which prohibits many people from being able to capture that status. Right. Because section 469 says, and these are the passive activity rules that were implemented back in 1986. Section 469 says, all rental activities are passive unless you qualify as a real estate professional. It also says any trade or business in which you don't materially participate in is passive. So if I have a rental activity, then I have to qualify as a real estate professional to meet that first piece. But I still have to go and meet that second piece, which is any trade or business which you don't materially participate in. So just because I'm a real estate professional doesn't mean that I materially participated in the rentals. I have to qualify as a real estate professional and materially participate in the rentals. And that's how I make rental activities non-passive. But if I rent my unit out, my house out, my short-term rental out, seven days or less on average to customers, then I don't have a rental activity under section 469. And again, it says all rental activities are passive unless you qualify as a real estate professional. So if I don't have a rental activity, I don't have to worry about real estate professional status. Absolutely. Who does this typically help? Yeah, so this is typically going to help people, uh, high income earners, uh, people in high tax brackets, uh, because basically, if you're in the highest tax bracket right now, which is currently 37% uh, as of uh, May 1st, 2021, um, then you're paying 37 cents per dollar that uh, you're making. So let's just say you have an additional $200,000. I'm just pulling that number out of a hat um, at the 37% rate, right? You're paying on that $200,000, you're paying $74,000 in tax at the 37% rate. That's not something to laugh at. $74,000, that's a Corvette, right? That's a down payment on your next rental property. That's multiple vacations. I mean, there's so much stuff that you could do with $74,000 rather than just hand it over to the government and let them do what they wish with it. So that's why it's so important. And it's not, you know, it's not just a 37% tax bracket. If you're in the 24% tax bracket, if you're in the 32% tax bracket, you're still paying a substantial sum of money to the federal government. So if you're able to use the short-term rental strategy to be able to reduce your taxable income, reduce your tax liability, you can take that money. And most importantly, if you do this, invest it. And we talked about this in the Real Estate Professional episode, invest it for a rate of return. And uh, as we discussed, the one example I gave, $100,000 uh, compounded, I think it was annually um, over 10 years at 8% is going to be $215,000, give or take. So you're talking about a substantial amount of money that you're foregoing uh, the opportunity cost of paying the money to the government rather than uh, than taking the money and putting it back in your pocket. So I think you have to be bullish on short-term rentals in general. Like, like uh, we, we work with a lot of clients who are high-income earners, and it's actually been really interesting working with with real. When I say high income, I mean you know two three hundred thousand dollars is high income, but we're also working with clients that are earning like a million dollars plus. Uh, they're physicians, they're business owners, and it's really fascinating listening to them like hone in on what their problems are because they overemphasize taxes 
maybe even to their detriment because they're almost letting the tax tail wag the dog, if that makes sense. Like, like people are buying property that maybe when you underwrite it, it's actually not that great of a deal, but because I can bonus depreciate it because I'm a real estate professional or because I'm buying short-term rentals, and I don't have to qualify. I can take the losses as non-passive against my W-2 income and claim that 37% deduction or reduce my tax exposure by 37% of every dollar that I bonus depreciate effectively. Um, all of a sudden it makes the deal look look much better. And, and I agree, it does make the deal look look much better, but we also have to factor in that eventual depreciation recapture. So you always have to recapture depreciation. If I go bonus depreciate and I take $100,000 of bonus depreciation today, and then I sell the rental three years from now, I, I've got to recapture that $100,000 of bonus depreciation. And what I mean by recapture is I, I have to pay a tax on all the income. So effectively, like when I get depreciation, think of it as the IRS is giving me a loan. I can reinvest that loan. I can invest in the market. I can buy new rentals. I can do whatever I want, but they're giving me a loan that I'm going to have to pay back whenever I liquidate the property. Unless I 1031 exchange, you can always roll it over. But I always like to kind of keep that in the back of mind because it affects the deal economics. And even though we're proponents of juicing your returns, right? Like we we like that. We, we, we like to be able to show you, hey, you can buy this rental property because you are going to get an immediate tax benefit. And if you hold it a certain amount of time, then this is going to be your recapture. So here's your spread. And if you reinvest that immediate tax benefit over seven years, you'll double your money. And you know, we, we like going over that with clients, but still you have to want to be a landlord. You have to want to own short-term rentals and you have to want to really own long-term in the area that you're investing in. So it's still all the same underwriting principles. And and I just, I always like to kind of say, don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Yeah, you know, 100%, agree 110% what you just said. You know, the, the way sometimes I like to look at it is you might have a tax motivation for something, but you still got to keep the investment principles number one. Like, yeah, sure, you're motivated maybe to invest in short-term rentals by because of the tax benefits, but if it's a bad investment, it's a bad investment. Uh, mm-hmm. You still got to do your market research. You know, the one thing with Airbnbs that I learned, uh, you know, and, and VRBO, short-term rentals in general, is that there's a lot of local laws and maybe ordinances um, that try to prohibit it sometimes in certain areas. So you really got to look at the locality of where you're where you're looking at um, what some of the political environment locality you're looking at, because there might be hotels or other people with, who have motivations to do this to block you from allowing you to do short term rentals, either in the short term or the long term. Right. So there's something to be aware of when you're investing, you have to know the area it has to be a solid market. You know, one of the biggest real estate principles is location, location, location. You can't move real estate. So you still have to do your due diligence and make sure that the investment is a sound investment. And uh, like Brennan said, just don't let the tax tail wag the dog, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun to talk about with clients, right? Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Like we, we love this type of tax planning. We love to be able to produce these types of results for clients. And when I say these types of results, I mean, hey, you bought a short-term rental for $800,000. We helped you get a cost segregation study on it. The bonus depreciation was 150K. That's passing back to you today and it's saving you 40, 50 grand in taxes. That's awesome. We love that type of stuff. But if you are solely doing this for tax benefits. I think that's the line I'm trying to draw. Is if you're if you're solely doing this for tax benefits, I think that you're going to be disappointed in the long run because 
yes, while you get the immediate gratification of the forty, fifty thousand dollars in tax savings, and that feels really good, you are holding a a short term rental, and it's got to produce. Because if it doesn't produce, those tax savings they're going to get eaten up real quick with your net operating losses. It's got to produce, and I think we see a lot of high income earners come into this solely for tax benefits, and they don't operate the property like it needs to be operated. They, they don't manage the property like it needs to be managed in order to actually produce a return and build wealth. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, 100% on that. You know, we, we, you have to take a look at the operational component of it too, because in order to use this strategy, I'm sure we'll get into it in other episodes, you need to materially participate, which means you usually can't delegate so much, you know, away. You're going to have to be actively involved. And with short-term rentals, it's not like you find a tenant and you sign a year lease, a 12-month lease, and you're locked in for 12 months. You don't have to worry about it, hopefully, for another 12 months. This is a short-term rental where you're going to have to be booking uh, booking stays every time you turn around. And it's going to take an ongoing effort on your part. And you have to factor into how's that going to impact your life, your family's life. And is that something you really want to dedicate time to? Um, is something you have to factor in as well. With all that said, so let, let's summarize this, this episode. If you're a high income earner and you're buying short-term rentals, you can materially participate in the short-term rental and the losses generated from the short-term rental activity will be non-passive as long as your average stay per customer is seven days or less. If you can generate non-passive losses or if you can make the activity non-passive and if you cost segregate it, you're gonna get a large non-passive loss that can directly offset your W-2 income, your business income, interest, dividends, capital gain from other sources. And that is true even if you're not a real estate professional. That's kind of the summary here. The one caveat that I'm going to throw in is the excess business losses, Section 461L. It was implemented with the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. The CARES Act of 2020 postponed it to start in 2021, but it caps single individuals at 250K, married folks at 500,000 of excess business losses. So 250 if you're single, 500 if you're married of excess business losses. What is an excess business loss? If I have $0 of business income and $1 of business loss, that $1 is an excess business loss. If, if I have $0 of business income and $600,000 of business loss and I'm married, I can only claim the first 500,000. The remaining 100,000 is suspended and carried forward. So when you're buying short-term rentals, if you if you listen to this series and you work with your advisor and you, you think, okay, short-term rentals is what I wanna invest in and it's got great tax benefits, keep in mind the fact that you've now got a cap on the excess business losses. You can only claim $500,000 in excess of your business income. If you are a physician and you're earning 1099 income, that's business income. So if I've got a million dollars of 1099 income, now I can take a $1.5 million total loss because the first million offsets my business income, the excess 500K I can still claim. So if you have business income, your total business loss that you can claim increases, but you can only claim a 500K excess business loss if you're married filing joint. So we're gonna wrap this episode up with that. Uh, next episode, we're going to be diving into the details. And then in episode three, we're going to review some tax court cases, talk about the do's and don'ts of investing in short-term rentals, at least as it pertains to taxes. 
As Tom mentioned, if you're interested in our tax course, go to www.therealestatecpa.com, click on education, and you'll be able to click a link to the tax course. Uh, It is evergreen. We are running it on an ongoing basis. When you purchase, you'll have access to 12 hours of content, as well as a course community, a bunch of handouts, homework, and resources for you. Um, We've had about 110 people go through our earlier iterations of it. Uh, and we have a handful of people in the course today on the the Evergreen course. So we'd love to see you in that community. And like Tom said, use code RECPA to get $100 off. Thanks so much. See you next episode. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients, and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.